0: If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters, spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More where we strive to discover more through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast will serve as a space to exchange ideas from the collective experience. So Andre, we've been focusing a lot of our effort and questionings about you as a professional and your professional habits and your professional work life. So let's pivot and talk a little bit more about your personal life because... I'm sure a lot of your habits and decision making process that you make as a leader as a manager are rooted from how you are as a person as a human being right the more holistic lens so like what are some of your hobbies and what do you do as a like as andre the person the human not the andre the manager
1: yeah um you're you're absolutely right a, a large part of you know I, I I always say we come to life every aspect of life with our whole selves we, we like to think that we can have the, the the work Andre and then the personal life Andre. And and yes, we may be able to manage our temperament. We may be able to manage aspects of our personality, but we're essentially the same person. Like the, who you are outside of work is who you are uh, when you're at work, you know? So largely, uh, for me, I am very passionate about hiking and camping. And uh, it's, I think hiking and camping represents uh, in many ways a metaphor for life and a metaphor for leadership Uh, in february i did a winter hike in um in pennsylvania pulpit rock and uh i did the research you know went on the forums and everyone was saying hey it's it's one of those moderately difficult hikes it's not super difficult it's moderately difficult so i was thinking all right well i'll pack light but I've been on a number of hikes that have been very difficult before, where I've, I've had to be on all fours climbing up the side of a cliff. So as I didn't see any of that describing this, this trail, and it was fairly short, so I packed my backpack and, you know, had the warm clothing that I thought I'd need. It wasn't a very, very cold winter, and so I felt like, all right, I'd, I'd be good to go. Started off the hike and... Uh, I was very impressed, really great views. It, it, it was actually better than the pictures I saw because I started the hike after a snowfall. And um, I felt good. I felt like, hey, I could t- could do this, but there's a point on the trail that became very, very rocky. And I remember reading about it, but most times the descriptions about the rocky part of the trail uh, came from folks who did the hike in fall or in summer so they could see the rocks and they could make better judgments of like their foot placements and so on for me as climbing these rocks uh, within seven or so inches of snow probably probably way more than seven inches of snow actually and it was very very difficult because at points i felt like i was going to fall and it, 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 it was just It was just uh, it was hard to ascend. Finally, got to the top. It was a an immaculate view, really amazing view. I was really happy about it. I was like, wow, I'm happy I made it. You know, I expected that I'd have been at the summit much sooner. And I thought to myself that, wow, isn't this so much uh, like life? Just the important importance of being prepared. You know, and I'm I'm very spontaneous, but nonetheless, I have a healthy appreciation of. Pre- preparation and conditioning yourself to meet the challenges that come, and to get the right kinds of information. And I feel like a large part of leadership, especially leadership in the 21st century and leadership in a very volatile uh, landscape, one that is continually disruptive, means that you have to be able to get the information that you will need. You know because information can be outdated. the forms as reading had information that wasn't the most up-to-date and leaders have to be agile they have to be able to know that information changes all the time the industry changes all the time so be up to date be prepared read uh, it's 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 not just the McKinsey reports you know it's it's not just the Harvard Business Reviews there are other sources of information that information that really capture The meandering ever-changing landscape of whatever industry you're in despite how boring you may think it is get that information and so I thought as I as I looked over the edge of the cliff at this amazing view I was like wow I really should have done my homework and gotten the right information and then if I got the right information my backpack would have been at least five pounds lighter I wouldn't have packed so many things in there because it meant that my ascent would have been much easier and I'd have gotten to the summit much more quickly. And I think that's also important, like this idea of being clear about what kind of baggage or what kind of weight you're taking with you, right, and what you'll need when you get there. Uh, that's crucial and it speaks a little bit about to this idea of awareness and I've shared with you both that I think one of the leaders who are extremely effective are those who prioritize awareness like knowing who they are uh, and knowing how they show up in their work in organizations in their work with clients and customers and in their work with the teams that they lead right and so um, for me my backpack would have been lighter and I think Leaders have to check their individual backpacks as well and figure out like what kind of what are some of the issues, you know, what are some of the the as we call them, the baggage that I'm taking with me that I really need to leave uh, as much as I can not leave, but address or manage so that it doesn't impede my work with others, because in a a way you can't really leave it. You you can heal from it. You can manage it. and, And sometimes that's what's required. Um, so, so that I, as I stood there, I thought to myself, wow, I could have left some of this luggage, uh, in my car. And then the night came, I put the tent up and, um, you know, I, I lit the fire like I normally do. I'm really excited about that part of camping, just like looking for wood. And if it's more challenging, it's more exciting. It's like snow. So you're like, Wow. The wood might be wet, so how do I ensure that I find dry wood? Or how do I scrape the bark off this wood to get to the dry part of it and build this fire? And I was happy I was able to do so. And although I had a good fire while I was sleeping, my feet were extremely cold. You know, I had socks, uh, warm socks. But I never assumed it would be that cold if I if I knew I'd have brought thicker wool socks. And I didn't. And... Um, uh, thankfully, thankfully, I remembered someone telling me about uh, heating water and um, hot water, put, heating water on your fire on the fire, and putting it in your tent uh, close to your close to your feet. Some even say put warm water in a bag or something, and and then put that in your sleeping bag or so because your feet your feet get so so cold. And I remember putting that warm water in the tent. And that was very, 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 very helpful to ensuring that my feet was warm, right? And I think it also speaks to that level of diversity and that ability to, uh, to make quick adjustments. Excellent leaders are those who are able to extrapolate from the most dense experiences, the most challenging experiences, the right kind of actions. Uh, to get the results that they need, and um, that's why for me, at least that trip and other hiking trips represented a metaphor for leadership. And um, I think my my experiences on the hill and and, and intense have influenced um, how I show up as as a leader. No, it's
0: extremely well said. I love those metaphors. I'm not a hiking person or a cardio person. Period. So. Um I don't want to say I understand those experiences, but it sounded like they were amazing, amazing experiences and I love those metaphors you used. And it reminds me of like a book I read a while back called Deep Survival by Lauren Gonzalez. It's it's the first book ever to discuss the idea and the concept of survivability and they they examine many different fatal incidents during hiking trips, skiing trips, whatever, and talks about what causes those casualties and those uh, mortal incidents. And you talked about preparation, right? So in the, the, the book, it talks about like 80% of hiking incidents and many of them lead to death uh, based on different extent and different degree of you know, esteemedness and dangers, of course, uh, 80% of those casualties are actually for experts. So those people who actually die in hiking incidents are those who are extremely well-versed and veteran hikers and who are, have a lot of experiences and encompass a lot of experience and expertise because in this case, complacency literally kills. Because like you said, oh, I've hiked on a lot yeah. of uh, more difficult trails before, you did your research, uh, although it sounded like a little bit rudimentary, but there's research, you know, okay, I got the depth of the experience. This trail cannot be that difficult. So you packed according to your experiences, you know, which is like, could be misleading because every uh, trail is different. Everyone have different experiences. So a lot of people who uh, died, a lot of those uh, lethal casualties were because of ill-prepared uh, preparedness and they didn't do enough preparation like you talked about. So I love how you were able to recognize that and then be able to reflect that for your overall.
1: Yeah, as you, as you said that, what came to mind was the importance of leaders uh, also being visionaries, right? And also being pilots or, or captains, being able to, with good judgment, with intelligent judgment, being able to chart the future and to make intelligent guesses, what challenges they may face in the future like every great leader every i mean we could name we could name a number of those elon musk i think is is one such entrepreneur and leader uh who has an extraordinary skill uh of anticipating what challenges may emerge and um the, the folks, the leaders and the organizations who usually do well are those who are able to do that, who have a vision of the future and what and the way the market may go or the way the industry may go um, and those who don't. Are, are the ones who sometimes find themselves surfi- surviving and the story is often told of Kodak, right? And the change from film to you know SLRs and DSLRs and, and How Kodak was very slow in making that adjustment, you know, and how other competitors essentially took a larger share of the market so the ability to forecast the future in intelligent ways is a huge asset to uh, to leaders
0: i agree and uh, I, like, I like how you brought up the example of kodak because adaptation is obviously one of the many reasons why homo sapiens survived where a lot of other species perished forever and went extinct but you know homo sapiens had this unique ability to adapt to whatever adversities in different uh, circumstances in life and another example that comes to my mind is IBM. Like IBM used to be a full hardware centric services right. and they're extremely dogmatic in a way. They didn't want to change because they're like, oh, we're IBM, we're good. And they just recently, I think four or five years ago, changed to full cloud and software services because they realized that they're dying. Like Apple was on the rise and Apple was just crashing all markets and nobody, most of last time remember seeing an IBM laptop, right? Those are like ancient uh, ancient stages so no I love you talked about adaptation and uh, preparation so I appreciate you saying those really really well said and a big thing I also am pretty into hiking um,
2: I've been going every summer for the last few and one of the biggest things there um, I agree it's a complete analogy kind of for life often the most difficult climbs are some of the best views you know you can kind of embrace the struggle of going up on all fours like the scrambles didn't give you the best views or right the best times to Um, you know enjoy at the top Um, but then often I personally really love the I guess it's almost a meditative uh, ascent right you can kind of just clear out everything it's kind of a flow state of ascending the mountain it's kind of meditative in a lot of sense especially being out in the wilderness and everything like that do you practice this hiking and camping to kind of achieve stillness outside of the normal work day
1: excellent question um I don't think I I necessarily do hiking first and foremost to achieve that kind of stillness I think it invariably happens though right Mm -hmm. and I I like the use of flow this whole concept Mm -hmm. uh, because it does it does invariably serve that purpose this is a sort of you're exorcising not just exercising you're exorcising something that's deeply within And I've found, I've found hiking, and I've found running as well to achieve that purpose. Even if that's not my intention in the first place, my intention could just be, just be motivated by uh, challenging myself. Right, this idea that I want to, as much as I can, uh, be someone who is adept at uh, some kind of physics. This, this the kind of physicality that. It it demands. It could be me being me being motivated by the notion that somehow camping and hiking increases the the chances of my survivability mm-hmm. in in an end of end of world uh, apocalyptic scenario. Right? It could mm-hmm. you know there's so many different weird motivations why I do uh, some of the things I do, especially those that require um, you know, physical ability are, are, are strenuous, mm-hmm. but then while that may be the primary motivations at, at time, I found that it also serves to tap into something that's deeper and uh, and and I usually find stillness, and it is very it is it is a very self reflective process. It is a it is an, an opportunity for me to kind of get away from uh, the the demands that come with you know, quote unquote, civilian life, Mm -hmm. you know, in the city. So, yeah, I, I, um, and I cherish that and I appreciate that.
2: I think it's almost holistic in the lessons it can teach because like we talked about, it is the stillness and reflection, but then also it teaches judgment of just where to step or teaches intuition of do I go left, do I go right? Like those are just almost inherent skills that we don't necessarily practice on the day to day. Um, And I really love the idea of kind of finding a flow state. I'm interested that you just introduced the running as an idea because I think that's – sometimes you go on a run and you're just dragging the whole first three miles. The whole first three miles sucks. And then mile four hits and then you – I call it you black out for five miles and you're like, oh, my run's over. You know, like once you can kind of achieve that flow state, um, the common definition of it is a – uh, combination or I guess the middle ground between surrender and focus so you're focused on running but then you just kind of surrender to whatever's happening do you find that with running and or camping or what are your thoughts on I guess flow state as a concept
1: yeah I I agree I uh I felt I'll share this story and it's, it's something I'm very I'm very proud of is I I was able to complete the Brooklyn Half Marathon a few years ago uh, when I was still living in New York, and I, I remember training for it, and you know it was just something that I really was enthusiastic about. I had a friend who we would we would run at Prospect Park uh, from time to time in preparation, and and he opened me up to a larger running community as well. Uh, and, and so that was great. So the, the broken half was on its way and while I was very motivated, a part of me really doubted that I would be able to finish this thing in a way that I was proud of right mm-hmm. you know and so I remember I remember running because in all my training by the way, I had not run, ran the full miles of a half marathon. I typically just assumed that hey, if I can run, 11 miles and still feel great I'll be able to run 13 14 miles you know I'll, mm. I'll, 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 I'll be good to go so I never really practiced and ran all the miles um, so so on the day of Brooklyn the Brooklyn half started running and it was I think I think as probably on mile nine and that's when it when it happened well probably mid, midway mile eight. I really struggled I, I, I as wow. I'm I'm not sure what's happening in my training I never felt this but in my training I wasn't running this competitively right so mm-hmm. I was like mile eight I was like whoa this really feels horrible <laughs> it was like mm-hmm. what's gonna happen here I'm not going to walk this race I am gonna run and I and I need to do it in a way that I'm proud of and by mile nine I, despite how confident I was, I was like, no, I am hitting a wall right here. This is like, I am done. And, you know, I remembered statements of affirmation that I would utter to myself when I was training. And, you know, the times when I really felt like my energy was spent when I used to run around Prospect Park. And I'd repeat though, and I was repeating that about mile nine. And that's where I feel like I entered into that state where it was not a a lack of sensation, but it just felt like every step that I was making, every stride was engineered perfectly for me to finish this race. And uh, everything that I was saying, although it started to rain, the rain, so my my Mm self-talk, The rain, the conditions of the road, just the people with the signs at the right place. It just felt like by mile nine, everything conspired for me to finish this race uh, in the way I wanted to. And, and that essentially is what that flow state is. It's, it's the flow state for the folks who climb uh, um, uh, cliffs and, and their placement of their, their, their fingers and that big toe. It's, it's the same for those who, who, who run long distance races. It's the same for people who are operating at their highest level. Of capacity even if they're not professional athletes Mm -hmm. but it 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 seems like the the next everything every action that they're engaging in and the realities of that moment all conspire for them to be the best or to produce the best that they could Uh, and that's what flow i've found flow Mm -hmm. to be in my in my life uh but yes it usually comes it usually comes at a point where there is focused reflection, like razor sharp focused reflection. And I find it usually comes at a point where, as you said, you're letting go, but you're, for me, it's a, it's it's letting go at a point where I am experiencing significant challenges, but being able to let go at that moment and razor sharp focus, uh, that's where that's where i've I've, mm-hmm. I've had that experience and so that brooklyn half for me i ended up doing my per obviously it was my personal best i've never i never run that many miles before whether or not it's in a race or in practice but uh, i thought i was going to be doing it in 2 hours i did it in 1 hour and 40 minutes or something like that and for someone for me you know i who never ran races, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, of, of that at that level, I, I was impressed.
2: Yeah, that's great. And I think I'm almost fascinated by the fact that it started raining just when you were kind of going through this thing. Like it was, like you said. Right, adversity. Yes, things were conspiring to finish, but it was almost that, you know, last test of alright, you surrendered, you're in this flow state, you're going to finish this race clearly well here's some rain, let's see how you hold up against that, I think that's kind of like a fascinating symbol, I guess, of the story of even with the rain still kind of focused through Um, I had kind of a similar experience with my last marathon, it's actually kind of whole list or I guess full circle in a lot of the things we talked about I didn't prepare as much this was the second half I had ever run so I naturally just didn't prepare as much as I had for the first one uh, my first I had finished feeling great at the end I thought you know I could run another mile or two. Second one I came in a lot less training mile nine hit and I was hauling like I was walking a little bit like just could not refine that state but I think the thing about running is it almost teaches responsibility kind of like you said the only person that knows how you ran the race is you like no matter what the time is you know that you could have pushed a little harder you know that you could have ran differently or timed things differently like i think running definitely taught me accountability and even just pushing myself because on a scoreboard there's like an objective score of what team won even in sure in running there's time like a time but that time could mean or that time could tell 20 different stories have you found that it teaches discipline or accountability kind of holding yourself accountable for how you i guess finish the race or push through during times of rain or times of adversity
1: yeah, uh, I think running definitely has been instrumental um, in teaching me valuable lessons, uh, not just for leadership, but for life, right? Uh, I think that more more recently, I was just the person who ran, and I would just have my pretty much my analog watch, or I'd probably have a digital or something, very basic, like super basic, and I'd just be like, all right, well let me put the stopwatch on, or let me look at what time I started, and then let me look at what time I finished. And I realized that if I wanted to not compete, but if I wanted to push myself to the highest levels or to my full capacity, then I had to be, I needed to approach this in a little bit more of a strategic, intelligent way, right? Like I needed to be able to see what aspects of my race or my run needed to needed to be worked on and so you know i started to use apps which were very very instrumental and apps a lot broke down different segments of my race and or my run and was and i was able to say oh right so when i start like this with this uh, speed it usually equates to me ending you know at this speed Mm -hmm. and and that breakdown really helped and there are other there's just other really crucial information I was able to get the more I approached running strategically and that's true of life I found for me you know I am naturally a fluid person spontaneous and 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 so on but the more I'm strategic especially in relation to work in relation to personal development professional development I found that there is a compounding effect that usually benefits me. And so ways in which I've been strategic is simply saying, for example, for me, I for 2019, every single month I participate or I'm enrolled in a formal professional development experience or activity. So it could be a webinar That is about coaching or a webinar about something that is tailored to what I'm interested in and enhances my growth it could be an actual training at uh, UPenn at Bryn Mawr or any of the colleges you know within within Philadelphia it could be doing a two-day seminar in New York or whatever it is every single month I am literally involved in a formal professional development activity uh, or, or event, right? So that's one of the ways in which I'm strategic about it because it's a part of what would be considered my growth plan, right? Downloading an app to be able to dissect my run was a part of my growth plan, right? Mm-hmm. And so every single month for 2019, being a part of a professional development experience was a part of the growth plan. One of the other ways in which I approached leadership and life more strategically is, um, more so life, is health. So I am enrolled in a gym and thankfully it has an app so I can see the days I go to the gym. I need to go to the gym at least 10 times every single month. Now, that may not directly impact leadership but it has a direct correlation with my health outcomes. And that's crucial. And the healthier I am and the healthier I feel, or if I enhance my wellness and my health, it invariably impacts how I show up at work and the kind of impact uh, and energy I can I can I can bring, at least energy I can bring to my work. So that's one other way in which I've been strategic about about how i lead my life and 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 how that corresponds with how strategic i've been in how i lead my 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 run Mm -hmm. um uh and i think there are various other activities that i will do throughout the year that may not be on a monthly basis Mm -hmm. but it may just be quarterly like you know i do quarterly assessments of where i am so i have my goals that, that i have set And I do these quarterly assessments of that, right? Mm -hmm. Something I've encouraged folks to do, you know, not everybody, it depends on how anxious you might get, is if you're someone who is interested in setting intentions or resolution at the beginning of the year, one of the things that I recommend uh, to do if you want to be strategic is let's say you do it in January. You set those intentions or those resolutions. Not only write it down, Uh, Certainly create a vision board, but I'm even suggesting to record yourself narrating the goals that you have accomplished, although you're yet to accomplish them in January, you're saying you're narrating, you're recording yourself. It's your it's really your future self. Mm -hmm. So you're recording yourself and you're saying, hey, Andre, it's December 2019. I'm really happy that we got this far. You were able to go to the gym at least 10 times. Every single month this year, you are enrolled in a professional development uh, activity or experience every single month this year. You are able to do X, you are able to do Y, you, you know, and so on. So the recording is done in the past tense, although it has yet to happen. And it's a really, really powerful way of keeping us accountable. And for someone like me, who engages in quarterly reviews, of myself and my goals you know i can always go back to that video uh to see okay where am i you know it stirs me it stirs me to action for some people it may stir them to anxiety right so, uh, so i so this is why i'm saying this is probably not for everyone but for me i find it to be useful and you could choose not to watch it every quarter you could use you could choose to watch it half in, a, you know, after six months or after eight months or so. But it's really an effective way I have found to hold me accountable. And that's a part of my strategy.
2: I really love that strategy because I think when you're describing something as if it already happened, then you kind of have an emotional response to believing that it's already the case. So if you're speaking that all of those things happen, inevitably, you know that it happened, you just believe there's almost no circumstance where it isn't accomplished because you already put yourself almost in that in those shoes and I guess that's important in both goals and intentions personally for me this is the first year I didn't make goals but rather intentions because a lot of times with goals you can get hung up on certain numbers or certain specifics what would you advise people on I mean I think we are approaching the end of a new year and the start of a new not only a new year but a new decade how to determine whether goals versus intentions, uh, how they can be effective and or which do you find more reliable?
1: That's a hard, it's a very good question. It's, it's hard to answer for, for different folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that whether or not it's goals or intentions, there are still aspects to planning your growth because that's fundamentally what it is, that's planning your growth that's important and i think the first one is authenticity right it's like really really being authentic about who you want to be not just not just what you want to become not just like hey i want to do this or i want to become this but like who do i want to be and so i think whether or not you're 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 saying my intentions for 2020 is this or my resolution is this being clear and being authentic like hey I want to be this human being this is the kind of person I want to be that's a very good starting point what's also important for planning your growth is is to have systems of accountability right and I I know it sounds repetitive but but irrespective of how you phrase it you actually have to this is just us what what makes us thrive as human beings is to have those systems of accountability and there are lots of studies that that show that and whatever your means is it's like folks have said hey create things to do lists uh, or write them down some have said well you have to go further you need to put that in a calendar right so that you have a date affixed to it so that it makes it even so much more binding so whatever uh is a most effective system of accountability that needs to be inbuilt in uh how you how you create or how you design a a system of of growth i think also what's important is affirmation right so intentions really play more into affirmations than the traditional goal setting and Mm. i think affirmation but it doesn't mean that goal setting or resolution setting rather sorry that resolution setting shouldn't be an affirming process, right? Or an affirmation process. I think it can be. I think I think we we are more effective if we are able to what I said earlier is to really capture the stories that reflect the true essence of who we are and stories that are and reaffirm the best parts of ourselves, right? And so affirmation is one of if not the most crucial means of motivating any kind of behavior change not just in others but in ourselves right that's a reality which is why you know the the studies in in human development suggest that punishers versus uh reinforcers are, are less effective. Reinforcement or reinforcers are more effective in generating the kinds of behaviors that we desire. And if you can reinforce through uh, affirmation and through validation, then um, then that's a plus. So I, you know, so I, I'm sorry I, I can't suggest intentions versus resolutions. I would just say that. Uh, what's crucial are those things? This idea of, of, of authenticity, this idea of affirmation, um, this idea of accountability. Those are three crucial aspects of any growth plan that you desire uh, to create.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. Definitely really appreciate it. So yeah, I want to reaffirm what you told us before and uh, like your, your goals and what you're doing to record yourself. I know you don't meditate personally because we talked about meditation recently. And visualization is a technique that many people meditate they use to visualize their future to set right. big settings. And I think you're, you're tool, using the tool of a camera or your phone or to record yourself to using the, like the past tense phrases is like literally a very meta, but also very physical manifestation of the visualization through like uh, technology. So I think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, never tried that, but I might check it out in the future.
1: Yeah, and also just to say, I am a big proponent for meditation. I, I, I used to practice meditation a lot, especially as I interacted and, and, and dug a little deeper into Eastern spirituality. Um, over the years, unfortunately, I just never prioritized it, but I would say that meditation was very effective and it's something that I'm, you know, since our especially since our conversation, I want to reprioritize. I remember someone speaking to me about the impact of meditation and I agree so much. The person said that life is like oftentimes being in the middle of a freeway or a highway. You know, like there are many lanes and there are cars that are flowing left and right. Like just they're just zipping by you on the left and on the right. And these cars represent your life they represent the demands of your life the the unmet expectations they represent goals they represent desires they, re- they represent represent the different things that we are fixated about and oftentimes as they zip by you know left and right so does our head move left and right you know we're like looking left to the cars on the left right to the, and we find ourselves find ourselves very quickly becoming disoriented by all of these demands and expectations and, and realities of our experience and someone said well meditation is being able to stand in the overpass or above that highway right and it's not that the cars or the vehicle stop driving and zipping, they're still there. But your vantage point is different and you're able to take a different perspective, a more focused perspective on these cars. And instead of being disoriented by them zipping by and left and right, you're still able to see them for what they are and you're able to accept them uh, without pressure and without judgment. And from that place find clarity. And from that place, being able to engage in the sort of mindful presence that most people are desirous of, or at least would find beneficial in their lives. And so I, I think as my life becomes more busy, as my life becomes more demanding, I really do want to prioritize meditation because I found it to have that very same effect. And I'd always encourage someone, if, if a part of your growth plan could integrate meditation i 100 percent would say go ahead
0: so that's actually the perfect segue because a lot of things you talked about is your strategies and what you do your, your the power of habits in terms of professional life so i really believe in the inseparable relationship and i'd argue the causational relationship between your personal growth and your professional growth because not every great professionals are great humans but i think if you're great as a human as a your personal growth is on point. I think that would inevitably lead to pers- professional growth. So you talked about all these strategies to to maximize and optimize your professional development. What do you do and what are some of the habits? Like in our cases, we meditate and you talked about some of the meta-physiological activities such as hiking and running to create that flow state, to create that utopia, right? Uh, so what do you do that's maybe not physical or maybe that's also physical that contributes to your personal growth?
1: Yeah, I think, I think a large part of that Also enrich my internal world right and so I wanted to clarify that only because uh, lots of the the being you know I speak about about having and and doing and I spoke about being as well which is crucial and I think that some of the things that we do right interestingly enough um, may create opportunities for the kind of introspection and reflection that really adds volume to our internal life or our inner world, our inner life. And so I don't want to necessarily push those aside. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think I've, I've, I've really been enriched by that. And um, one of the most enriching experiences for me as well um, mm-hmm. is being a father, right? Uh, my three-year-old, he, just seeing how he navigates changes within himself And changes in the outside world as he experiences it is very fascinating and it is it is very spiritual (laughs) to me at least from the outsider looking in Um, it is a very spiritual experience for me Uh, and then I'd say as well while I'm not actively involved in the faith community at this time you know that may change right but I'm not I'm not actively involved at this time I still engage in prayer and and reflection and you know reading the the scriptures you know and I still also read literature from uh, other other traditions other religious traditions and and I still read um, a, a number of uh, more current Buddhist teachers right and so that those. Those kinds of experiences have also enhanced my my inner world.
2: One of the things you mentioned was the being, doing, and having. And I believe that's kind of modes of a Buddhist philosophy, correct? So it sounds like your question was, what things do you do to bring forward your growth? But from your answer, it sounds like you're putting being first, and then the doing and having kind of comes next. Is that a philosophy that you intentionally have worked through? or? Yeah. Um, I guess have just found I guess through the process.
1: Yeah, I mean that whole concept of be, uh, be do have, is a result of literature that I've been exposed to over the years. Uh, more than more than uh, Buddhist philosophy or teaching per se, there may be correlatives there. But my my introduction to it came through professional development content, mm-hmm. uh, and so yes, I've deliberately tried to focus more on being. And and it resonates more with me as well because my history uh, with with uh, working in church uh, contexts and being a preacher and so on speaks a lot about being uh, mm. before before it gets to having and doing. That's like a, a huge a huge component of uh, most religious traditions, including Christianity is about building that inner life that inner world so when when i was exposed to this be do have model it was like oh yeah i'm kind of familiar with this this makes sense you know how do i how do i integrate this outside of the context of spirituality right um so yeah but but i do while it's deliberate for me to prioritize the be first as i was saying i think that It's sort of a a a relationship that feeds itself Mm. right you you ultimately want to be doing things and you want to ultimately have things that enrich who you are Mm. right or affirm who you are affirm or enrich I, I for example I want to have more money so that I can contribute more to people who are in need and to work with them to create opportunities for themselves that would be a great thing to have money and, and the opportunity to, to to do so having that and doing that feeds back into who i am right? that b component so that's what that's why i'm saying i think it's a while yes i put b i start with b being before becoming the reality is that the idea is that the things that i have and i do will also affirm and enrich who I am and and, and who I continue to be.
0: So we are definitely coming uh, towards the uh, end of an episode. But before that, I want to follow up on a question because you obviously devote a lot of your energy, your talent, your your passion towards the the basket of professional development, the culture building, organizational leadership to help foster your team members and your culture on a both micro and macro level. And so I'm wondering... Um, like for yourself, since you view yourself as a coach, if you were to give like a pep talk, right? We asked this question to all our guests. If you were to give a pep talk to a group of mentees, your mentoring and coaching, what are some of the devices would be for them? These could be like palpable, specific skill sets, tangible skill sets, or this could be more about like meta, more about life that you just have to give as a coach.
1: Yeah, um, excellent question. I guess what I'd say to, to anyone, you know particularly those that I have the privilege of coaching or mentoring is develop a healthy relationship with failure failure doesn't mean you're at a dead end right it's just one way to not do something it's just figuring out how to make tweaks I found that in my work Many people fail to to achieve our highest potential because we fear failing, right? And so, what we often do is we somehow find that chest in the back of our consciousness, and we open it, and you know, we put our highest aspirations or the dreams that we have, and we lock it, and we tuck it away, and we shelf it somewhere, uh, because we're avoiding pursuing those things for fear of failing at pursuing them. And I think being able to have a healthy relationship with failure essentially leads someone to keep trying. It leads to being audacious about believing that you'll, you'll achieve it. Fear can be crippling, but fear managed doesn't mean that you don't pursue your dreams. It doesn't mean that you no longer are aspirational you can still be courageous in the face of fear. And uh, I think that is, I guess, one of the most profound uh, advice that I'd give. No, I think
0: that's awesome. I love you said that because I think that's very related to the book that Aiden and I, we just finished, called Everything is Fucked by Mark Manson. He's the author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And he describes and defines heroes as... He first debunks the fallacy or the misconception people have about being heroes. Because when you think about heroes, people think about just luscious cape in this out form. And then you know, being triumphant after defeating serious monsters and rescuing the woman of their dream. Right. You like princess or queen from somewhere. Right. And But he talks about, he's like, no, a hero is, despite the outcome, a hero is simply someone who can muster courage and hope in the most hopeless and difficult, fearful situations. That's all who heroes are who are able to navigate and conquer fear, not conquering isn't like, oh, I'm no longer fearless, more right. about being courageous and being mm-hmm. audacious enough in spite of those uh, fearful factors. So I love to you said that. And this leads to our final question of, so for you, Andre, the coach, the social worker, the executive coach, the whatever other titles that you identify yourself with, what is your next step? in the foreseeable future and um what are you trying to any projects you're working on and also feel free to plug at the end if you have any like websites and stuff that you want people to check it out because i think today you provided ample amount of really really profound and solid content both meta and both like actual like uh tangible skills and strategies that people could really really hone on
1: yeah thank you uh i mean uh i would say i'd say My next next is executive coaching. Right. So. So while I coach as a manager, a program manager, I'm not certified as an executive coach. So my next next would be uh, being certified as an as an executive coach. And in the meantime, you know, just to continue working on some of the professional development tools that I started working on in the summer. That I think is is on the list of high priorities for me. All
0: right, Andre, since you, you, know, you just came back from a 21 day social media fast, and your website is currently in the rebranding process, I will put your information in the description box. And for any fans and listeners out there who are interested in please check them out in the description below. And yeah, that concludes this week's episode. Uh, we really talked a lot about a array of topics and I really enjoyed the profound and tangible skill sets and strategies and the lessons that you shared uh, with all of us. And I want to acknowledge for your time and thanks for being on the show, Andre.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate you both having me. It was, it was great.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And it would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.